you're still with me. It's okay. I'm with the FBI. That's good. It's slippery in here. Cooper. In the flesh. Sometimes things can happen just like this. Chopping wood inside, 
candy baby that new year's candy is dandy ain't it <laughs> <laughs> hey tom <laughs> hey buddy how are you uh pretty good happy new year yeah we actually made it to 2020 there was a period at the end of 2019 where we thought maybe we wouldn't make it to 2020 when we were in philadelphia oh that's right you almost got murdered by some philadelphia <laughs> eagles fans went to an <laughs> eagles game don't ever wear opposing colors to a philadelphia eagles game note self Tom was almost kicked around, uh, burned, spit at, almost murdered, literally. But you talked your way out of it, your, your fast-talking ways, and your smile, I think your charming smile, got you out of it, Tom. I mean, that was legitimate fear. Now I know why Lynch was so fear-stricken about Philadelphia. I mean, he's, his line about, I'd rather be here than Philadelphia, Philadelphia was actually the impetus for all of his art because it was so you know, angry and dark and decaying and uh, I think Bob might be an Eagles fan actually <laughs> <laughs> we saw some Bobs we saw some Bobs at the stadium actually so we finally we made it through we had a great time we took some time off from our last podcast we're in 2020 um, we're here to do part 17 series rewind the past dictates the future that's right it's one of my favorite episodes we watched it again last night and uh, it was a rock'em sock'em episode not a lot of uh, time to breathe, but it was uh, wonderful. I loved it. It's one of my top five still. Probably number three after eight, maybe three or 18's up there. You're wondering. I think 18's still in there, of course, for oh, me. Oh, I'm wondering. 14, 15, all the ends, all the teens from 13 on, really. You want to just go list all the episodes? Well, just the back half. <laughs> the back half was my favorite part and eight. So, yeah, we're here to do it. Uh, do you want to get started or any preface? Do you have any thoughts on any preambles you want to give us before we get going? Well, first, a little uh, uh, pre-birthday love to David Lynch. He'll be 74, I think, next week on the 20th. That's right. 74. That's a good age to be. He's got Our Lord and Savior. Years. Yeah, he's got plenty more years left. He does. He does. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about <clears throat> this episode when uh, I rewatched it last night. It made me feel, uh, or it, I had a recall of the episode in the original series, which happens to be, if you count all the episodes it is number 17 the pilot eight episodes of the first or excuse me seven episodes of the first season and then the ninth episode of the second season is the summary episode of the laura palmer mystery where cooper spends the first half of the episode trying to figure out or unlock the the key from his of his dream that he had in the first season and with a little help from Major Briggs, who brings Senior Jewel Cup and the Giant, that he solves the murder of Laura Palmer uh, in the Roadhouse with a stable of, of familiar characters watching these events unfold, even though they can't see the Giant return and give Cooper the ring, as opposed to Part 17 here, where we have like 25 people watching the Bob. 15. Bowl. I think it's 15. We counted. Right. Are there 15 people in the Roadhouse in that episode uh, 9 of season 2, you're saying? Well, okay, so it was Ben, who was great. He's, like, cracking, like, walnuts or peanuts in the booth, saying, 
Hail, hail, the gang's all here, and uh, would you like us to hum a Tibetan chant? He's just having a great time. And then Bobby is wheeled in, wheels Leo in, Big Ed's there, Leland, of course, uh, Albert, Sheriff Truman. I believe Hawk is there, and then Major brings uh, brings Senior Drill Cup. But I think Big Ed is there, too. Yeah, Big Ed is there, yeah. That's Why great. is Big Ed there? He's got to have a, you know, because Bookhouse Boy's presence, just in case. <laughs> Monitoring <laughs> for the records. Doesn't Cooper say that... Pretty much all the people in, in that room are have integral. could be, yeah, yeah. Th- well, integral, but also suspects in Laura's murder. Nervous about meeting E tonight. I'm not sure that was uh, <laughs> was he a suspect the killing? Was he a suspect, Tom? But so can can you see my vibe here? Do you see yeah, where yeah. I'm going? I mean, yeah. there are some, and Lynch didn't direct that episode. Lynch didn't write that episode. I could see him watching it and cringing because Laura actually whispers we hear the whisper yeah my father killed me lynch is probably never do that yeah never but i actually love that part that was my favorite part one of my favorite parts of that uh that season i think yeah but don't you think that they could have extended that uh i guess that 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 narrative a few more episodes now i know leland was breaking down very you know, rapidly. I mean, he was like, you take one yeah, look at him pace. after Maddie's death, and it's like, how are you not implicated in this crime? But that was always my biggest beef with that episode was how they crammed it all in. It was great. I mean, it was so rock'em sock'em. There was no um, side plots. They pretty much just stuck with Cooper and his 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 road to trying to unlock the mystery of the dream and solving the murder. You have the great scene with the one-armed man who tells him about the golden circle, the ring, Cooper's ring. And then you have that great, you know, denouement where they're walking along and trying to figure it all out. Like, was Bob real? And then Briggs says... Um, or Albert mm-hmm. says, right? Well, Albert says yeah. maybe that's what Bob is, this the evil that men do. But yeah. Briggs says, I think, there's more to heaven and earth that, that's dreamt up in our philosophy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I love the episode, but... I, I I wish they would have kind of extended it, and I kind of have similar feelings to this episode because we had the preceding sixteen hours where we had such a, a languid pace at times. <laughs> it's being generous. You'd be Dougie. Yeah, you'd be Dougie. Case files, and as soon as we get to this, the very first scene is Cole giving us this massive exposition dump of of this plan twenty five years ago with Cooper, Briggs, and Cole. And Judy name dropping Philip Jeffries, um, and it, it's just it's kind of farcical. And then it goes to the next day. See, I always thought it was the same day that Cooper woke up, got the Mitchin brothers, Learjet to Tacoma, Cole, Cooper is Dougie. I know where he's going, that they're all going to Twin Peaks, but it's 24 hours. Did you know that? I didn't notice that. How did you figure that out? Bushnell calls, or actually Headley or whatever, the guy from Mad Men calls uh, um, Cole, and Bushnell says he's got a note from Cooper, who, and the note says that it's 2.53 in Vegas, the number of completion, I'm going to see Sheriff Truman. So I was like, wait, it's 2.53 in Vegas? Well, I know that in Part 17, it's 2.53 in the sheriff's station. So was this some kind of weird... Oh, yeah. We live in a, we live inside of a dream that time is nebulous. But if you watch the beginning of Part 17, there are three very short scenes. There is a short scene at the jail cell. They show the exterior of the sheriff's station at night. 
And then you see more of NATO and James and, you know. Oh, that's right. It's, then it becomes daytime. Yeah. Uh, but so, then there's, so what did Cooper do for those hours in between, yeah, getting there? Like, that's he, there's there's 12 hours of missing time there. 24 Almost hours 24 missing. hours. Yeah. Well, let me just sum this up real quick. There's that jail scene. There's also Ben on the phone with the Jackson oh, yeah. Hole, Wyoming Police Department. And then there's Mr. C just, you know, driving along. Driving, yeah. And that's just, but the, that whole 24-hour period, those three scenes, that's it. They should have added a scene of just, like, Cooper getting some pie or something. Going to eat Nadine, like, you know, or Norma, like, hanging out, like, decompressing. Taking a or shower. On the, the Learjet with the Mitchum and yeah. Candy, Mandy, and Sandy. All kinds of possibilities of other scenes, but no. So I find that very interesting that they just jumped right in once Cooper awoke He's going straight to Twin Peaks. No Dillian. We're sticking in the fifth gear, and we're going. And we're going fast, and we're going hard. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, he obviously wanted us to know that it was a different day because it was nighttime when they first showed the Twin Peaks Sheriff Station, clearly. And he right. was daytime whenever he was waking up. So, And then also whenever you see Cooper, Mr. C showing up, and then Cooper shows up, it starts to get dark, or preternaturally dark. Uh, in like the overcast, massively overcast and, sh- and dark outside. Like it's almost like he put like a, a patina on it. Like the lodge was sweeping over, the lodge cloud was coming over Twin Peaks. Well, ultimately, it does completely fade out after Coop says, We live inside of a dream. And that's where they go to the Great Northern Furnace Room. So it yeah. ultimately does become completely dark at that point. So you think when they disappeared and uh, the 15 people that were in the sheriff's station walked outside, they're like, Wow, it's dark all of a sudden. What happened? It's like Alaska winter. Well, it's all very curious. It makes us realize that after the 47th viewing, we still are finding out new stuff about uh, even part 17 that we've seen so many times. wonder what else we haven't discovered yet. Maybe the key. Maybe we haven't got it yet. Maybe we still haven't got it yet. The actual physical key that Cooper gets from No, Truman? the key. There's a, there's a missing uh, clue we haven't noticed yet that would give us more insight. Possibly. Maybe we'll watch it. Let's watch it again with our fans out there. And maybe if anyone picks it up, uh, send Tom a Twitter, a, a DM, and maybe we'll find something else out. All right. We are starting with the atmospheric music and the uh, Laura Orb floating over Twin Peaks. If you guys want to follow along with us, we often digress. So apologies in advance if we get off target. But uh, yeah, maybe um, you were saying part 17 in season two, which that was very similar to part 17 in season three. Maybe like uh, Mark Frost just pulled out the final draft template and just said part 17 and he just started using the same kind of flow and the patterns. And he was like, you know what? I kind of like this. Let's go with it. Let's keep going. It's like a comic book. Essentially. I was telling you that I felt like a, it felt like a graphic novel, like this episode. It was like, it was, it was just an absolute action packed jammed full of uh, information and, and resolution. Very unlike all the other episodes we've seen so far. I mean, there's if you count like Dougie, like looking through the case files, like two or three Dougie scenes is the entire like crux of the the massive climax. <laughs> Lynch is like, I'll I'd rather have Dougie for fifteen than spend twenty more minutes on that shit, that Bob bubble. Well, it's a testament to the uh, I think the genius of the show of how it was uh, structured is that you could never anticipate uh, what you were going to get from part to part. Yeah, and I don't think anyone could have predicted. Uh, the frenetic pace that we got here in part 17, it pretty much starts right after Cole's exposition dump um, here at the very beginning. And uh, you mentioned after watching it last night, again, one of the, I think the worst moments, it's a very subtle moment, a brief moment, is the failed joke of, of Cole. Yeah, he's, test, he's he's worried about his manhood. He's talking about he's got it. He's, he's, soft, he's gone soft, but not where it counts, buddy. And then you cut to Tammy giving him like the swooning eyes, like, "Oh, you cad, you!" <laughs> like that was just a little bit outdated. A little bit. I would have cut that actually. 
Well, but it's also that was for the ego. That was one for the ego, I think, for Lynch. I, I yeah, yeah, and it just seems odd. It doesn't seem right for a the David Lynch persona that we perceive to to understand, and it doesn't seem to fit the Cole character. Even though he is a perceived ladies' man, I can't see him feeling slighted by you know Albert's comment that he has to justify you know being soft in his old age. But it's also curious that this scene is actually unfolding. I would assume immediately after Diane uh, was tolpud and exited the room and went to the lodge because Cole has got a six shooter out and he's just like, well, I can't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And that happened at, you know, not the end of 16 uh, that happened probably about two thirds of the way through. And I know there's been other examples. There's been some uh, kind of loose editing decisions, I think from part to part to fit uh, the individual parts per se, like if they, I don't think this would have fit at the end of 16 somewhere. I think it's it's a good uh, starting off point for for part 17, and also because it goes into this exposition dump. So I want to talk about this here because this is really kind of a key <laughs> to, to, to not only part 17 but to the whole series and what we're about to see in part 17 with Cooper going back in time is that what Cole is saying is that during the original run at some point. Briggs had discovered the entity of Jaude slash Judy, brought the information to Cole and Cooper, and they devised a plan not to destroy Judy, but that would lead to Judy. And my question to you is, because Cole says, I'm uncertain that this plan is unfolding correctly because we haven't heard from Cooper, that... (laughs) Did the plan entail Cooper going into the lodge and actually coming to fruition 25 years later um, and ultimately leading to Cooper going into the uh, Great Northern Furnace Room through that door to meet ultimately Philip Jeffries to go back in time to save Laura? Was that part of the whole plan? I would think not. I would think, though, that this is uh, him just going, well, we haven't, it's been a long time. We should have heard from him by now. Like, I think that, I don't think 25 years, there's no way they could have known, for example. They could have gone, known that he would have gone in there indefinitely, perhaps, but they would not have known when he came out, unless they were tying it back in to see you again in 25 years, unless he told them about that dream. Yeah. It's possible, but... Well, it's a foolish plan, I think. It's a maverick plan. It's a half-baked plan. We know that to the very end. It's like he's still trying to, like, do the White Knight uh Syndrome, and even at the end, it's almost like he tries to go back again. We talk, we'll talk about this later, but I think that uh, the whole Nido showing up and being, being Diane could actually be a Judy trap. We had talked about this many episodes ago, but it could have been a Judy trap to get him to go once he got out and became whole again to immediately the White Knight Syndrome to kick in and him have to go right back in, be lured in by Judy to save Laura through Diane. Then he also said, "See with the curtain call, like he knew what was good, like she was going to be waiting for him on the other side." Correct. And she was. I think that was the real Diane, but maybe not in 18, waiting for him on the other side. Because that looked like, it felt like the real Diane. When we saw her come at, become not, uh, transformed from Nido, she looked like Lil. And she had a really evil look on her face, like absolutely evil when she came out. And I, I, I feel like, and then there was that like Judy Danish symbol that happens when uh, they do the transformation from Nido to her that seems like there, wasn't, there was something behind that face. You mean the the image of Diane in the Black Lodge when she's transforming from yeah. Naido? And they show that one little like rock that looks filled with Black Lodge uh, goo. It looks like a Danish, like a Judy Danish, and that might be the symbol of Judy showing that like she's still here, baby. Right. And it's only half of Diane's face. The other half is shadowed in that black yeah. goo or whatever to suggest that she is maybe duplicitous or something because it's not her full face. You would think that you know that maybe that she's hiding something. It's like kind of those film noir tropes 
where the villain or the character is, is you know, has, half of his face is in shadow and in light to kind of connote that this person maybe cannot be trusted. Although we we had the, we were led to believe, I thought that like uh, when Nido started chirping and stuff, that, that, and knowing that uh, Mr. C was coming close, that Mr. C was somehow coming to get her. Like we thought maybe that that was it. And so if it was Judy, that would would that make sense? If it was it was Diane who was trapped and he wanted to kill Diane or maybe be there whenever the real Cooper shows up to trap Cooper with the Diane C uh, uh, bait, that would make sense. But if that was Judy, I guess he was also looking for Judy, wasn't he, Mr. C? Yeah, but he didn't know who Judy was. Right. So I think you, you might be onto something because uh, Nida was at the uh, portal uh, to the White Lodge in Part 14, and she was saved by Andy and Truman and Hawk and brought to the sheriff's station. We know that Mr. C here in Part 17 shows up there. So if they had not appeared there, and they only appeared there because of Briggs, Major Briggs's note that he had written 25 years prior for them to show up at that particular time would perceive to to save Nido from Mr. C in part 17. But I don't know if that makes exact sense. What was Mr. C going to do if Nido was there at that particular point? He was looking for coordinates. Was he looking for a person or was he looking for a location? Well, he was I, looking for the Palmer house, we thought, whenever he gets sucked up into the White Lodge and uh, the giant does a sweep, does the old Facebook swiper, the Tinder swipe right. A swipe left and moves the Palmer house to the sheriff's station. He wasn't actually supposed to even be there, or he thought he wasn't supposed to be there. Maybe it was all like a, to build tension for us to not know what was happening, to think that maybe he was coming for Nido, but he wasn't. You know what I mean? Like to build suspense. Well, I think it was yeah. all kind of like a red herring, actually. Right. I think a whole Mr. C red thing. Herring, but yeah. you were talking about it's a suspenseful red herring. <laughs> you were talking about Cooper's uh, hubristic tendencies, the White Knight syndrome, but. This whole plan from part one to part 16, all the events, even in Twin Peaks, Buckhorn and Cooper in Vegas, ultimately leading here to part 17, were all seen by Major Briggs. And he was planting clues throughout. So it's that seems to be successful because Mr. C is stopped by Freddie, who is a Confederate of the Fireman White Lodge. So Briggs obviously knew about that, and Cooper's exposition dump at the sheriff's station tells everyone that Major Briggs is responsible for pretty much this whole, he saw everything that was going to go down at this particular moment. And the key that Truman has, and who is he's surprised that Cooper's asking him about, Cooper even says, well, Major Briggs told me about that. So Cooper has all this knowledge of Major Briggs's plan, which makes me makes me think that this was part of the original plan 25 years in the past with Cole. But I also want to think that it's possible that since we think there might be a slowly changing time shift from part seven onward or any number of uh, 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 inconsistencies, uh, namely Laura Palmer, her murder not being named after part seven, but is it possible that what we're seeing with Cole and Buckhorn and his exposition dump about Judy and whatnot is part the retcon is already kind of taking effect that the events of Cooper going back in time have already somehow affected the events here 25 years later? Yeah, that could be it. And whether we, we haven't talked about the fact that our, the Dougie dream theory and where the druggy dream theory ends and reality begins in this episode. And whether uh, Lynch was a part of his own dream state or he was 
uh, a part of Dougie's dream state? Where was he in all this? Like, how does it all converge at the end? And exactly when? Also, we were, I think we had talked about the fact that, like, they were playing chess. Like, Judy and the, and the giant were playing chess so that the giant had this thing set up, or Major Briggs had this thing set up with, uh, with Cooper for 25 years. And then Judy had, had, had moved, moved, moved the chess board or a chess piece. And so he then put Freddie there. That's like, and so, and so she put like the Polish accountant and the, the, the very end was like, uh, Nido uh, being put there as, uh, pretending to be, uh, Diane, which was really a final Judy move to try to get him off. Cause the, after the giant swiped right on the Palmer house, it was like a, a series of chess moves that they're doing at the end. Well, was he actually, certain that Mr. C was trying to get to the Palmer house or was he monitoring the Palmer house because he suspected that Judy or something else might have a presence there that was affecting this chess game? Well, Philip Jeffries knew there was someone else there, right? He knew there, there may be, there may be someone else. And that was assuming that was Sarah, right? Or Judy. I don't, I don't yeah. know. It's a very good question. The it's Palmer all very house. cryptic. I, yeah. See, I don't Where think you're going, that... there's someone else. And so then you cut straight to the Palmer house. So, but then they show Leland as well. <laughs> something else. They don't show Sarah when they flash back yeah, to part, yeah. you know, to fire walk with me. And see, look at that. We're looking at the golden orb. It looks just like the black Danish, doesn't it? It looks like the, it's the golden Danish, like the golden Danish, uh, in the middle of the woods looks very similar, almost exactly like the black version that we see whenever Nido's face transforms into Diane's. Well, that's the pool of uh, scorched yeah. engine oil that yeah. is outside the black lodge. It indicates evil. Right? It indicates evil. So if she was turning into uh, from Nido into Diane, you would not think that the Black Lodge goop uh, Danish would be there. You think it would be a golden Danish. You wouldn't think it would be the Black Lodge. Paper you would think Danish. that she would if she was... Her original location in part three was, I think, in close proximity to the fireman's mansion because we saw the whole purple sea nearby. Yeah, so they're would... neighbors. They hate each other and they're evil, but they're neighbors. <laughs> it is in our house yeah, now. That's right. In our house now. I want to know how uh, Tammy was able to pull up all of Dougie's information so quickly. Well, they could have just pulled up the Dougie Joneses. There's 23 of them. Could have pulled up all 23 driver's licenses and picked out Dougie's face pretty quickly. I figured that one out too. Yeah. Well, let's hear it. Because uh, Headley, the FBI guy with Bushnell, right before he gives the phone to Bushnell, says that he's forwarding all the information on Dougie Jones to Cole, Tammy, and Alvin. Oh, I see. There it is. So they didn't just randomly yeah, it's really fast. pull yeah. it up. Yeah. yeah. They weren't really think, reading it. Just but kinda... they would have. I think that once they realized there were 23 Douglas, Douglas Jones in Vegas and they had to go through each one, they would have known from Diane's story that Janie E was married to a Douglas Jones. So all they had to do was pull up a Janie E Jones that would match with Dougie, jo Dougie Jones. And then bing, they would have had yeah. the right Douglas Jones. Yeah. Marriage certificate. There it is. <laughs> well, here we are. We're watching uh, Mr. C going into what he thinks is Judy's house, but it's really the white lodge and the giants got him trapped with the major Briggs head. I love the way Mr. C looks. He looks menacing and scary i thought that kyle looked uh, like nicholas cage for so many episodes and i didn't buy it but now i'm buying it after several months of not seeing him with his blackened teeth and his uh, his great acting good job i buy it he's evil i'm scared yeah especially when he shows up outside the sheriff's station he's like what is this hello andy yeah he's like i'd like that very much <laughs> like that. yeah it's good and it is like so didn't we say that like him going agent cooper it's very similar to like uh, the first episode of season two whenever he's cooper's laid out on the ground after being shot and you hear the phone and andy's on the other line going agent cooper agent cooper very similar uh tonality there and maybe that's why it took like 50 takes for andy to actually get that <laughs> that lynch uh, apparently went through 50 takes to get him to close that that door 
Well, one thing to mention too in the the fireman scene is that we see Major Briggs's head last seen outside uh, or in space, floating in space, uttering Blue Rose in part three. Now he's found his home in the fireman's mansion. So do you think that the Major Briggs's role in this narrative has now come to fruition? Mr. C has been trapped, sending him to the sheriff's station. So now he is found his you know eternal place in the fireman's mansion. We have Cooper as a big head coop, this other like disembodied head, very similar to Major Briggs that we see in the sheriff's station who says we live inside of a dream. But we also see him during the uh, Nido transformation appear in the Black Lodge. Now, the fireman is watching a series of events on a screen and is able to manipulate events by sending certain things into the screen, into our real world, whether it be the Laura orb or Mr. C. So Cooper in the Black Lodge, if he is watching these events unfold, whether in his head or not, it could be a very similar construct of like, I know there's not like a big screen in the Black Lodge, but isn't it possible that he is watching these events unfold? His character of Dougie, what we perceive to be this kind of unified dream theory that he never left the lodge, that he is filled with all this knowledge, unable to enact. He's almost helpless watching these events. He cannot alter the course of, of, of events from the Black Lodge. And what we're seeing, why we see this head seemingly so confused is that he is helpless within the Black Lodge, just like the it's an antidote to Major Briggs's floating head in the White Lodge. And uh, there's a similarity between the two major players of Briggs and Cooper in places of good and places of perceived evil, both trying to affect a similar outcome, both acting on the side of good. But Cooper, since he is in the Lodge, his events, I think, are a little bit more uh, susceptible to other events that could uh, darken his journey. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it, th- it seems like when we see the we live inside a dream, that like all the stuff that came before it, when he goes like, uh, Bobby, like me and your father and Gordon Cole, who's coming right here on time, like there's stuff like that that seems like a it seems like a dream. It doesn't seem real. It seems fictional. So that could even be a part of the whole. Like you're saying, he's seeing all. Of, he's seeing his Dougie avatar turn into Cooper and play out what he envisions as being the perfect ending in his mind, but he's got to actually have his dream avatar do it before he can be fully realized at 2.53 and finally come back. And then he's fully, the bad and the good, or and Mr. C is dead, and he is finally whole again after all this time. Um, and then he goes right back into the lodge. But I still think that this is all, it doesn't seem real at all. Like, it seems like the whole Bob Bubble thing seems like maybe it didn't even happen in, in the real world, or on the timeline we had been seeing throughout the series. Because we never got to cut back to them to say, what the fuck just happened there? Like, as they pop and disappear, and there's 15 people standing in the... What happened? Right. There's none of that. One of the things I wanted to mention in this jail scene very briefly is that the character that you refer to as Billy the Drunk... Yes. ...that mimics everything, is at some point, while all these events are, like, kind of, like, you know, you know amping up, the tension is, is, is really escalating that he actually starts scratching his yes. face. It says tearing at his skin. Yeah. Tearing his skin, maybe foreshadowing the whole Nido yeah. unmasking. And there's other things as well. There's a time theme of like where Albert says in the in the first scene that 
uh, has my watch stopped or is that one of the Marx Brothers referring to Headley? So there's these little subtleties in the whole 253. The, the, the number of completion is that in Vegas, Cooper gives the note to Cole, it's 253, the number of completion, I'm going to share of true. Well, that basically connotes that the Vegas storyline has now come to completion, just as when the events here that we're about to see in Twin Peaks at the Sheriff's Station, it becomes, it's 253 as well, and that storyline comes to completion. And what you were saying earlier about Cooper and, and maybe the, the Dougie being the dream avatar and watching all these events unfold and being helpless to do anything about it is that, and having to wait for Mr. C or to become whole again, which kind of doesn't make sense because how does he become whole again if these events aren't really taking place, if they're taking place in a dream, but him leaving the lodge in part 18, he is going to, at that particular point, fulfill the plan that they discussed Cole Briggs Cooper back in, you know, 1989. Well, it does seem that like maybe even the white lodge is able to plant uh, sleeper cells within Dougie's dream world. Like that the Polish accountant could very well have been occurring in the Dougie world. Like it, it seems like it was occurring in the Dougie land. And so that if that's happening, then, like, we don't have the the, the, Black, the White Lodge would not have to wait for him to come out for him to, for them to be uh, trying to manipulate uh, reality. They could be trying to manipulate reality, and it's almost like you're talking about the retcon. Like the retcon of Dougie's dream world ends up becoming the retcon of Laura not dying, you know, and that that, that he was trying to like plant sleeper cells of evil in different places in the real in the real the, the timeline that we know, and also in the Dougie timeline that he's dreaming up to try to save Laura to try to stop it. Like Nido was the Nido uh, was this a sleeper cell, uh, just as the Polish accountant was a sleeper cell in the Dougie Dream World, but in the real world. Is it possible that the whole plan is tied to Laura Palmer, knowing that the events of her death have already transpired, knowing that at least from Briggs's vantage point, knowing that Mr. C Cooper's doppelganger is going to run amok for twenty-five years, and Judy is going to have a huge presence in our world. That knowing Philip Jeffries, who is I think a part of this plan even though he's not you know in the real world you know per se from what you know cole says that somehow they know that philip jeffries is a key to time jumping and maybe briggs had some kind of experience with him as well that the ultimate goal is to save laura palmer in 1989 to affect all of these events that we're seeing unfold in the return because if they've devised a plan that will lead to judy it it really does unfold where cooper it goes back and meets laura palmer now is is laura palmer judy well i think she could be like in part eight whenever the giant sent her down as the golden orb like joan of arc to save the world from the evil and that if she had succeeded in her mission, then Bob and Judy's work would have been for naught, that her, that her power would have been able to defeat them. But it didn't in the real timeline. And so the whole goal of, of Major Briggs and Coop and the giant was to go and actually save the person they sent down there that was going to be the key to actually beating these people. And that they were trying to pre prevent that from happening. Well, if Judy is this ancient entity that's been a, a, around for a long time, but Briggs just discovered it, maybe Jeffrey's discovered it as well several years beforehand, but knowing what we know about Sarah, knowing that Leland was possessed by Bob and Laura is the offspring of that, that maybe she does represent Judy, even though that she will ultimately become the greatest evil of all because of who her parents are. Yeah, maybe that, or maybe she had a choice. That that was the choice to either go be to go good or go bad, and that there was there was two ways for her to go, and either way would be uh, pivotal to the outcomes of both lodges being dominant in the world, the earthly plane. 
So that was right. it. It was and all a chess game for that, her. She was the queen. If that was the case, and just she... like Windermere, Tom, <laughs> just like Windermere's plans. He had it going. He had, he had the chess thing going, and it was happening. <laughs> That's true. It was a step out of the game. Oh, one thing I want to mention here is that uh, Andy, he visited the firemen, right? And he had his <laughs> no vision. debrief. I was right. wondering about that. They never debriefed him. But he puts like Lucy outside of Frank's office to presumably kill Mister C. Right? He didn't know what it was, but he knew that she had to be out there. He probably knew when she put that sweater on that day. She was like, uh-oh, I know that sweater. That sweater means something. But she goes there on her own. Andy is downstairs. Chad has him at gunpoint. While Lucy gets that phone call from Cooper, she understands cell phones now. That makes her get the gun. I don't know where she got it. And go to Frank's office and shoot him. Because when Andy appears, what he does after the Chad episode, he gets James, Freddie, and, and Nido and says, I've got to get you all upstairs. And when he goes into the office, he's got Nido, like he's positioning her like he was positioning Lucy in the fireman vision. And he has a confused expression, which isn't, you know, surprising for Andy, but makes me think that the, the 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 events that he saw within the fireman's mansion are not unfolding how he interpreted them. Now, whether his memory was getting fuzzier or not, I don't know. But it made me think, was Nido somehow supposed to play a role in Mr. C's demise according to the vision that Andy saw? Maybe. Well, he, remember when he runs off after he uh, sees it, he goes to, he tells Lucy, it's very, he goes, very important, very important. And he runs off. Like maybe they had had a conversation off screen about this day may come. Cause she would be like, Andy, like, what did you have? What did you see when you went to the other side? Like maybe they had talked about it off screen that they've been planning this, but they just didn't, they didn't clue us into it. But that scene of him actually positioning her outside didn't did happen. Not, did not yeah, happen. Didn't happen. So, so maybe he told her that that's where he, he positioned her outside. And so he was downstairs realizing the plan was going in a muck and that she needed to, to take uh, Onus under herself and position herself where she needed to be anyway. She knew where to be because Andy had already told her. Well, I, I agree with you. But I'm saying is that all the other visions that he saw actually took place um, how, how he saw them. Every yeah. single thing except for that moment. Yeah. So, so Lucy may have saved us then. She may have saved us from the change. Well, I, think I wanted to see a great scene. Like, they should have cut in, like, the beginning of, like, whatever episode it was that Andy went into the lot, the next episode, to have him, like, sitting there in the sheriff's sheriff station, like, getting quizzed. Yeah. Like, for a long time. <laughs> like, what, going back in his memory, what he saw, deciphering that a little bit, that would have been cool. But I think he forgot. I think Yeah, I think that, none of them remembered, right? That was kind of the idea. They kind of were like, what happened? Like, didn't they all kind of forget when they were well, walking around? Well, they did. Yeah. But he didn't. He seemed but to know. Yeah. He saw the two Coopers in his vision. And when he sees Agent Cooper outside the sheriff's station, he doesn't think anything is wrong until Frank shows yeah, up. Yeah, that's right. And then he, he goes, he has that. a look. It's like, oh, wait a second. I, I remember, yeah. It, it, it's very similar to, like, Cole in the Monica Bellucci dream, the Philip Jeffries episode, going like, damn, I forgot about that. It's like the memory, the yes. fuzzy memory. And I think because of whether we're talking about a dream or a, uh, a, a timeline that is subtly shifting, that even Andy, only a couple days beforehand, with this very powerful moment and these clues from this other world, otherworldly being, has already started to forget. Yeah. That's what made me think of the, the Nido thing, is that maybe he interpreted them incorrectly or if those events that the fireman is showing him are moments that actually take place they're in the future because we know that you know him and Briggs are able to see into the future and manipulate certain moments that moment with putting Lucy outside 
did not happen. That one was one moment that did not fit that future narrative. And it's, it's, it's a big question. It's because it's tied to Nido, in my opinion. I think very clearly, remember Lynch had a very interesting quote of like, like whose, whose robe is, is Lucy or is Nido wearing? Or something about Lucy's robe. Remember that whole thing about the uncle when we went to the Twin Peaks? Lynch has given some very cryptic clues about season three that are so esoteric. I think they're impossible to decipher. <laughs> but I remember reading him specifically saying like, Watch what Nido is wearing. Whose clothes is she wearing? And it's like she's wearing Lucy's robe. And remember that one part where doesn't he say like, "Remember Lucy? Like what we did when we were like, wasn't it was it with the robe or like at one point when they're putting they're putting Nido into the robe? He says something about remember what happened with this? I thought they had sex or something like that. They had sex in the cell <laughs> or they had sex in the robe and they kind of were giggling about it like that. That meant something to them. And so that was what the robe meant to them. Right. What it meant to Nido, I don't know. Well, I want to know what happens when. Uh, Mr. C shoots uh, Sheriff Truman's hat. Like, what exactly goes on there? What <laughs> yeah, I mean, mean, how did he miss? That? Yeah, and what, where, is the, where did they go? Where did the bullet go? Yeah, what happened? It plays into the whole dreaminess aspect It's like quick draw McGraw, like a little cartoon, like, boop, boop, like a Three Stooges type situation when it popped up like that. It was comedic. It's also, there's a moment, too, like, you know, the, the juxtaposition, uh, the framing. I, I do a lot of this on Twitter with images from the previous seasons in Firewalk With Me and season three. And, you know, a lot of it is just, you know, happenstance and whatnot. But it is interesting how there's a lot of, like, visual cues that do match. When Mr. C shows up into Frank Truman's office and he's sitting down with Frank and Andy comes in and he's standing, hovering, and Andy's kind of tall, and he leans over and he asks Cooper if you want some coffee. It made me think of the scene in the original series, at the, the uh, series finale, <clears throat> where Senior Drool Cup, coffee, yeah. coffee. It is an interesting uh, a visual uh, connection, and it makes me think because these events, if Cooper is not here, if he's in the lodge, and he is somehow, I don't know if he's, see, I don't think he's manifesting these images. Like, all these characters have an arc, have a narrative to themselves, and they're all here. He would He would have... He would have put Harry Truman in here and not Frank Truman if this was somehow conjured. It makes me think that it's very similar to what the fireman is seeing on his screen. Cooper seeing in the Black Lodge and he's somehow playing a role in it. He's like you said, the dream avatar aspect of it. So like it is happening, but it, it, at the same time... It isn't happening, or maybe it's one of these choose-your-adventures, like you like you suggest that this is just one of like hundreds of 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 uh, narratives that have played out over the years. Yeah, the little girl that lived down the lane, or, or the the idea where he's trying to save that uh, save Laura over and over and over again in the lodge, and it's not been working. And uh, you know, even with, we're watching the scene after the the Bob bubble, and when his head shows up. And he goes like, "We're all here today." It's like the dream, and he smiles. It like gives like a Cole a thumbs up. Then his face goes to black and white, and goes to old and aged, almost like he's seeing like all the years that he's missed in the lodge. Now he's finally back, and he's seeing like you know he's he's aged so much inside, and uh, it seems like that that also ties into it. Like he'd been in the dream until that very moment when you see that black and white face, and that that means that he's out of it now. And it comes right when Nido turns into Judy or uh, Diane. Yeah, I just find it so fascinating that we're in the sheriff's station, Nido is being unmasked, and Lynch cuts to the Black Lodge. So her unveiling is happening within the Black Lodge, or at least Cooper's big head or Cooper himself is seeing it that way. And 
it's interesting that when he first sees Nido is when the big head coop appears. Like that was the trigger. Oh wait a second. It had to be two fifty three, right? Is that the moment? Not not, not quite yet. But it's interesting big, when she fight, she fight, he finally sees her turn into Judy or to, to Diane in the lodge. That look on his face of joy, like he's so happy to see her. It seems like a fool's face. It seems like he's foolishly falling. You know, he's he's falling for something right here. And then looking at her face and he's kissing her. She looks like pure evil. That first image of her does. She's got a smirk on her face, like. But there's a trick, and she's got the fingernails painted like the lodge. It's a, it would have made so much more sense if this was Annie. I know you said that before. Talk about that. I like that it's Diane, but I mean, obviously we didn't have Diane in the, in the original series, and I like Diane, Laura Dern better than Annie herself, but you're right, thematically, that would make total sense, right? Especially with part 18, crossing over, and the motel room scene, the sex scene, and the note saying how you don't, you know, I don't recognize you anymore, it would have thematically fit better with Annie, because we don't have that backstory. Diane even says in part 16 that they had only kissed one time before. This suggests that they had this great love affair. I know that she was his girl Friday, but what's the first thing you know they do when she appears in, in the sheriff's station is they kiss. And they kiss again in part 18 and they make love. It would have fit more thematically with Annie. And I don't understand why. I, I think it's because Lynch loves Laura Dern. Yes, I think, and, I think so too. And I think he likes the, the kind of the callback to the Blue Velvet, like a kind of a grown-up Jeffrey and Sandy here. But, you know, and I like it. It's just, it's, it's another curveball. Yeah, and I remember we talked about in Part 18 that maybe, like, it's possible the way that they were talking to each other when they met each other at the curtain call at the Sycamore Trees, that they had, like, both been trapped in the lodge for 25 years and had gone on many adventures together. Like, it felt like that they had known each other in the lodge, that they had been sharing this experience together, and that they knew exactly what was going. They didn't have to explain that they'd been doing this together for all this time. And so that's maybe why they maybe they consummated the relationship inside the lodge for the last 25 years. That's a possibility. But don't you think it's interesting as well that Nido slash Diane has connections to that purple room in part three, the black lodge and the convenience store. Her presence in the three places, these three uh, supernatural realms. Diane is the only character to uh, or not, Diane slash Nido is the only character slash Judy slash yeah. Judy <laughs> maybe yeah but see I, I still really think that Judy I think Judy can be a person but I think Judy also is um, like maybe like a, a time or a place or maybe all three I don't think it's as very simple as that oh Sarah Palmer is Judy or, or Laura is Judy or Diane is Judy is that I think like the the fireman he had senior drool cup as an avatar right and maybe he's maybe Freddie is even like an added avatar of and the Polish accountant is that maybe Judy is very similar has all these other avatars as well yeah the and, Judy children we talked about the little bob the bubbles that came down that there could be millions of Judy children around the world well yeah we yeah. saw all those little eggs I mean so I think that but that also is kind of the result of the the Trinity test you know that great you know kind of evil that we had in our history in Lynch's Frost version that that really that that spewed all this these evil spirits and whatnot into not only our world but you know fitting into our, our narrative of Twin, of Twin Peaks I also think maybe going back to the Lynch uh, talking about his dick being hard uh, maybe that did we we're supposed to think that maybe at the end of the episode he was going to use his gun that he was going to be heroic and actually do it I thought that might be suspense laying that track down that possibly sexual innuendo plus maybe he may have a part to play at the end 
Yeah, you would think. Why? But he didn't. He just showed up. Why? Although he's in here. This, yeah. this scene. Okay. In the so scene I, in the in the in the in the hallway down in the basement of the Great Northern. Why is he there? Yeah. Why him and Diane with Cooper? If Cole was part of this plan with Briggs, and here it is right now. So maybe you know he's waiting for Cooper to show up. And now he shows up, and Cooper tells Cole. Don't follow me, or both of you don't follow me. You know, I'm going to go through this door here or whatever. But Cole looks very confused, like A, to even be there. So, what is his role in this? What is that place? This seems like obviously we know it's the furnace room of the Great Northern. I think all along the coordinates, the big mystery of the coordinates, right? The coordinates that Major Briggs uh, was seeking was this location and all the other stuff the buckhorn the white uh the the, the portal in buckhorn and and the other stuff the the little dicky horn zone the zone the zone and then the little dicky horn in part 16 those were all ruses to to get rid of uh, mr c the plan was for cooper to go through this door and to ultimately meet philip jeffries to, and i think to go back in time and to go ahead and and as you say retcon everything and start from scratch so they could they could they could have a one up on Judy going back to 1989 and maybe the, those events would affect the events that we're seeing here 25 years later. Yeah, so maybe since uh, Cole was in on it with Cooper and Major Briggs 25 years ago killing two birds with one stone, maybe that's how he ended up there at the final the final walk to the curtain call because he was already and he'd been tapped in. You saw him like being tapped in, to, uh, you know, in Buckhorn, listening to the sounds and stuff that we just maybe saw off camera. He had the Monica Bellucci dream. He'd been about possibly having his own. He's probably a seeker and a seer and sees shit through his dreams. And he probably had some himself. We just never saw him. Yeah, I think Cole knows. They think he was crazy to make him retire if he mentioned that to the, the FBI team probably. <laughs> retire early. But this is also the scene of him going up the stairs to see Jeffries mimics the scene of the woodsman leading Mr. C, uh, Mr. C up the stairs in part... 15 and then of course we have the jumpy man we see him coming down the stairs which makes me think this is a fucking trap man this is the trap buddy you're walking into a trap I, like, hey, 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 hey. you know <laughs> they're, they're mocking him waiting for him to come in i think that i feel like that leads into the theory that she is that uh, diane led him here and that this is judy's final like another chess move on top of the, the everybody else's chess move that he's she's going to be here to fuck up the plan at the end because i do think there's a theory to be had at the very end that the retcon didn't occur that like she was saved, almost saved, and then when she, you see Sarah smashing the the, uh, the 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 homecoming photo and screaming and screaming and screaming that that in itself is what sucked her up and and, and reversed the retcon from occurring. The only thing that made us think that the retcon actually happened is Mark Frost's book, right? Well, that's we true, never got yeah. confirmation whether the, the retcon took or not. And I think even when we first watched it, we were having a conversation as to whether her being sucked up at the end meant that all of that never happened. That the retcon we just saw was just erased. And that he can never save it. He can never go back in time. you know. And that maybe in 18, he tries to go back in time again, one more time, to do it, and it doesn't work again. So I think there's still a theory to be had there. Well, I think that the scene of the jumping man, I think that suggests two planes of reality within this world. Just like I think that the Black Lodge has like the Red Room and the Black Lodge. I think the convenience store has kind of more of a, there's a more benign convenience store and there's a more evil convenience store. And I think what that image of the, the jumping man suggests to me is that <clears throat> even though it looks like the convenience store, we don't see any woodsmen. You know, there's no bosomy woman, but there still is a convenience store 
that is populated by these evil spirits. And I think that's what the presence of the jumping man is that 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 still exists. It's not like the Bob bubble is no longer that all those spirits, all that evil is, has been you know, done away with is that it still exists. And Cooper is still uh, susceptible to the darkness. His plight is susceptible to the darkness. And if you watch the scene with Jeffries and uh, the Philip Gerard and Cooper, Gerard doesn't seem to like his, his body language doesn't seem to be in agreement with what Cooper wants to do. It's like, I think he shakes his head at one point. No, like what's happening here? Like, maybe this is wrong. Like, what are we seeing here? Like we're seeing the evil symbol pop up that turns into the infinity symbol. That could be already the, the false trap. Like Jeffries could be in on it. Well, this is this is motel room eight. The symbol turns into an eight. The sign of infinity is that maybe that's why this is a, a place, a portal to go backwards and forwards in time. And that's where Jeffries ultimately ended up because he somehow, whether he mastered it or he got trapped within it, is that he is maybe a magician who longs to see, but is trapped within this this machine. And he tells Cooper, you can go in now, but Cooper closes his eyes. He doesn't physically move into anything to go back in time. So is the time travel element in Twin Peaks more kind of a, a internal uh, travel? Yeah, or I think. I mean, we've all been seeing it already. It seems like he's going into his head again. In the head, he's going back into a dream state, which allows him to think that he's going to turn time around, but really he's not. It's not going to work. That might be it. Maybe if he didn't close his eyes here when he goes in, that he would have made see right there. If he hadn't closed his eyes, maybe he would have uh, been walked in with his eyes wide open and actually been able to go back in time. <laughs> he choked. Well, also he when we saw the the one armed man, is he he uh, says the poem again, the fire walk with me poem. I love the way he delivers it too. It's great. Great moment, and it's a transition. It's like Cooper now is is seeing that moment happen outside of a dream. 25 years later and it facilitates or at least leads to it's almost like that poem itself isn't just a you know it's not just a poem maybe it's it's like a, a cha- like an incantation something that allows an individual to move forward into another plane of reality and Philip Gerard is a, a spiritual guide and Jeffrey's is someone who has a wand who can manipulate time because Gerard, his mantra is always, is it future? Is it past? You know, where are we? Where are you right now, Cooper? It's almost like, it's not a question. It's almost like it's a statement. It's almost like, where are you right now, Cooper? He's been saying it over and over and over time and time again for the last 25 years. And I also think that that would have been the only scene of Al Strobel in season three. If Michael J. Anderson had played the role of the man from another place. I think all the scenes in the Black Lodge yeah. would have been with him, and that would have been the first time, and I think it would have been so much more potent, even though I love Philip Gerard in season three. I thought he was great, and I love what they did with the evolution of the tree. What I really love is the black and white uh, reversal of the Firewalk With Me scene with James on the motorcycle. I think this was just when I, I felt an absolute thrill uh, watching this the first time and then seeing him show up and be the one that she screams at in the bushes. Uh, I love this so much. I thought it was fucking great, and I still do. This is like one of the most genius parts of part 17, I think, and it still makes me happy to watch it, even though it didn't work. What do you mean it didn't work? The retcon, I don't mean the retcon, I'm not sure it works. I'm not, I'm not sure that like Cooper knows what he's doing. 
But he seems like he knows, he knows what he's doing. Well, it's interesting because I I just watched Firewalk with me not too long ago, and this scene that we're watching in Part 17 does not have Laura's theme playing underneath this dialogue with Laura and James. So he removes Laura's theme. He saves it to when she sees Cooper. But if Laura is not Laura, and we've talked about this in the past, the whole painting scene in uh, Firewalk With Me, if somehow Laura was split, if somehow Laura is affiliated with Judy or is Judy herself and un- and does not know it, stripping away Laura's theme during the scene while Cooper is watching. Cooper is trying to save Laura, but he's also on a journey that will lead to Judy. What if Laura, saving Laura, prevents Laura from becoming this extreme negative force? So that's why the stripping of the Laura's theme. And he's going to take her home. He's not going to take her to the Palmer house. He's going to take this Laura Palmer before she becomes the extreme negative force to the White Lodge so she can be saved. And she can be like the floating Briggs head. She can have a role like she she, ha- she does in the Black Lodge, but on a, on a more positive side. And it, it goes for naught. Something happens. What does happen? Is Laura somehow will herself out of the forest? Is there some deuce ex machina, like a Judy that pulls her out? It's a coup ex machina. A what? A coup ex machina. A coup ex machina. He's the one that woke her up. He's the one that was going to take her back to save her from her her fate. So he was kind of a coup ex machina. I think if Laura wasn't touched by the fireman and the devilish one, Bob, that she would not have disappeared from the forest here in a few moments i think because of who she is that she cannot be saved she has a a a, a role in this cosmic chess game and it's not as simple as just like preventing her from going to jacques cabin and which leads to the train car that she cannot be saved she right. can never be saved no matter because what. Of who she is yeah even put her in 18 into the into the other world and she, she could be carrie page and still couldn't be saved Right. So I agree with that. Yeah. I don't know if she's, like you said, actually Judy, but I think she's, like we've talked about, a major pawn in this game, or the queen, like that they're both fighting for her to join her side. And uh, right. that's pivotal. That's a pivotal part of the story, and that in the end he could not save her. And that's the takeaway I got when the very the final scream and the lights go out, that he failed miserably in his mission, personally. <laughs> I still think that. <laughs> no, I don't think that she is... Judy, because I think it's it's too easy, like I was saying earlier, to ascribe a character as Judy. I think she's more than I think Judy is more than just one individual. But I think that uh, there is there is some kind of connection between Judy and Laura Palmer. Now, if Judy is this omniscient 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 presence, what is uh, Judy's rationale reason for uh, using Laura Palmer? Is it's not just for Garma Bozia. I mean, I think that's more for the the other spirits, the man from another place, Mike, Bob, Judy. I think doesn't need Garma Bozia. I think you know Judy is probably her brain is probably cream corn. It's it's different than that. I think it's about like the battle of good and evil. It's not about sustaining sustenance. It's about like uh, power. It's about uh, pure evil. Watch out for that one under Blue Pine Mountain. I mean, there's so many things, the Log Lady speeches, that lends one to believe that there is a strong connection between Judy and Laura. And I, I've never been able to crack it. I don't think it is crackable. 
I think it's just uh, something that is to be uh, 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 experienced. It's another layer to the mystery. And I think that it's a fool's errand to go and ascribe Judy to any one particular individual. Well, especially since she is the daughter, if you listen to Mark Frost, of Bob and Judy. Sarah had the Judy Bob, the bug in her, and that Bob had was inside Leland. She was born from that devilish union. So if the if the giant could save her from that, then that would be quite a coup. Like, cause that could be like the Antichrist. Like she's the, you know, what I'm saying, like she's the formation of the, she's the spawn of the two great evil forces. And if she were to be able to come and run amok and give herself over to the dark side, then she would, the whole world would be ruined. That maybe like, Laura was already down there when, when in part eight, when um, they kiss the the orb and they send it down the golden orb of her, it goes inside of her soul that was already supposed to be there. So that's not, she's not just pure gold. Obviously, she's not, but it's just a, a gold infusion within that black. Bob's, uh, you know, Judy spawn soul that she's got within her. So one of my favorite parts uh, is when when she finally meets Cooper in the in the walk through the woods, and he's standing there like like God, you know, who are you? I saw you in my dreams. I'm here to take you home. And that walk, that long walk through the woods, where they're holding hands, um, is just one of my most profound moments because you don't know whether it's gonna work or not. And it, the way he shoots it is just so beautiful, and then absolutely crushing. Whenever he hears the cricket sound and realizes she's not there behind him, and uh, that look on his face, uh, it's it's devastating. It really is. It's like I think the whole episode, the whole thing, the whole series could have ended that way potentially. It was beautiful and tragic. So that's what's so great about seventeen and eighteen is you get these two fantastic endings on top of each other um, that will forever like even better than him smashing his head uh, and having Bob in him at the end of season two. I think this just takes it to a whole nother level. And uh, so all the people that hate season three, I just uh, disagree respectfully. You should probably watch it again and uh, give them the chance. It's been a couple years. Maybe you'll like it this time. <laughs> I, I agree with everything that you say. <laughs> I think uh, it was so sad and poignant and perfect uh, the way this episode ended, especially with uh, Julie Cruz at the Roadhouse. is the one performance that didn't have that purple hue, those purple yeah. drapes. It had the red drapes, yeah. just like in the original series. It is happening again. It was a just a perfect ending, and we're seeing Josie and Catherine, Catherine and yeah. Pete and Lynch. It's the pilot, and it's like Laura's. Laura's. She wasn't murdered. It's all. It's all good. But what did you say? What did you think when you saw that first retcon happening? Did you start freaking out? Were you like, "What in the fuck is going on?" Like I was like, I think I was screaming at the top of my lungs. I was yelling. Yeah, it, it really was. I mean, but we still had the hour left. Yeah, I was like, like how, what? How are we, where the are we going to go from here? <laughs> I didn't, I, I was very confused. But this right here, people say there's not a lot of horrific moments in season three. We had, we had a few, but I think this is right near the top of the list. Like pretty much 45 seconds or so of Sarah moaning this and wailing screeching. off camera. Oh. And we just have this static shot of this of the Palmer living room oh my God. and you see Laura's photo and the cigarettes and the booze. And then she just appears Judy's and angry. takes it. And just like Leland in the original series, like we were going to dance with Laura. You know, what is happening in this house? She just takes that, 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 that vodka bottle and starts smashing it and it can't be destroyed. Yeah, it cannot. And it's just, he does these effects, these reverbs and these jump cuts and the sound design. It is just pure, Horror. Yeah, and I still think that that's really what causes her to get sucked up at the end. I think somehow she's that she's unhappy. Judy's unhappy and not allowing this to happen, even though it looks like that. I think that was another tease that Lynch is going. Oh, you you think she's getting away with it? Oh, it looks like Judy's going to win or lose. And then at the very end, you see her get sucked up, 
And we're, I mean, I think everyone was clapping. I think when I saw this scene where she's smashing the, the, the homecoming, I was like, it's it. That he won. He did it. He did it. I can't believe it. And so that was what he wa- they wanted the audience to be just freaking out like, oh, my God, it's going to work. It's going to work. And then at the very end, it doesn't work. And it's like, <laughs> oh, my God. It's a great cliffhanger. And uh, maybe even, I mean, honestly, maybe even better at the end of, than the end of 18 in a way, or right on par. Because you've got, I mean, it was so close. It was like they're on the one-yard line. I feel like they were like on the 20, like at the part eight. <laughs> or maybe on the 50-yard line. I think like I don't know if uh, Cooper knew what the fuck he was doing in that reality as much as he knew seemed like this was the plan the whole time killing two birds with one stone was this was this and it failed and i feel like maybe the last one was like him trying to give it one more one more hail mary well i mean i i don't think it's as i I like it but i don't think it's as as easy as that i still like to believe cooper knows that this failed he finally emerges from the lodge he has additional clues from the firemen and what he has to do at this particular point is he has to travel into Laura's dream to save her. The reality of going back in time didn't work. Laura is in this, you know, Odessa hellscape. I think it's just a pure nightmare that she's been living. But I also believe that, like Cooper, I think Laura is split too. I think Laura has a very definite good and dark side that we saw throughout the original series, or at least it was inferred, and then we saw it play out in Fire Walk with Me. I, you know, I'm still holding to my guns. The whole like this will this this will look nice on your wall is that was done in order for Laura to to split. I think that's where Laura split. I think that there are two Laura Palmers, and I think that what Laura what Cooper is saving here is I think Cooper is saving the Laura that uh, remained in hell, not the good Laura. I think the good Laura was like trapped. And I think good Laura is always in the lodge. That's why we saw when she removed her face, we saw the the bright light. And I think that the Laura that we're seeing in Odessa in part 18 is this character 25 years later, like even, you know, darker. You know, she killed a man. I mean, obviously I think there's still like, uh, you know, uh, abuse you know, that she's been dealing with and trauma. And it, I mean, it's just, it's so complex. I mean, there are so many theories out there. There was that, you know, that, that one that got a lot of traction recently about, you know, the whole meta thing and whatnot. And I haven't listened to it yet. It's just so daunting, four and a half hours. But um, your know, props to that particular individual. We've done any number of, of theory episodes and talked ad nauseum about it. Is that <clears throat> for me, maybe we're not, maybe I'm not smart enough. I don't care. I mean, for me, it's an experience and we're sharing our experiences with everyone and, and we have our own interpretation of it. But for me, it's always going to be fluid. I'm never going to go like, this is it. Just watching this episode after months and months, I discovered new things. And I think I will continue to discover new things. And I think that is the genius of Twin Peaks. That's why it is regarded as a masterpiece. Pretty, people are putting it on, critics are putting it on, you know, the, the top 10 list of the decade. Uh, you know, the best film of the day. It's not even a, a, a television show to some people. It's, it's a film to some people. It's, it's anomalous. It's, it's pure genius. It's not perfect, but for what it is, a mystery, which Lynch loves and Frost loves, they did a perfect job of unveiling and ending on a note that resonates and leaves the viewers completely open to as many interpretations as possible and they could all be right. They could all be wrong. And that's the genius of it. Yeah. So do you think that the, whenever we see 
Laura in the lodge open up her face and you see the glowing that that's the only time you see the actual good Laura in the whole series or part like three, season, I mean, three. season three or season ever. three season three yeah yeah I think that that's it yeah I mean it's hard I mean this is just you know an interpretation a feeling is that you know Laura here in fire walk with me if Cooper didn't save her she was going to Jacques cabin and then she was going to get to the go to the train car and she was going to sacrifice herself she was going to look to put the ring on and allow herself to be killed so if she was the dark laura why would she make the ultimate sacrifice i mean so nothing is maybe the good laura did die and then like when she opens up her face she's the evil laura but you see the glow the orb like the, the glowing inside of her that that is what she became she became light and she's a part of the collective of light. All you can see, you can just see a glimpse of it, but we got him trapped somehow. But we also saw the evil doppelganger in the original series. Yes, that's right. So I mean, so I mean, Ooh. Laura is a very convoluted and complex character. You can't just uh, say this Laura Palmer is 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 good. This one is evil. I think there are shades of of both within the character. But I think in addition to that, I do think there are two uh, uh, individual spirits because laura palmer is dead now what we're seeing in part 18 is 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 this like you know is it laura palmer's dream in odessa or is it like the land of the dead you know wandering spirits as hawk said blackfoot legend i think and he in cooper in, in uh uh episode three after the funeral he says is that where laura is he goes i'm not sure you know laura's under the ground that's that's all i'm sure but he talks about wandering spirits and the land of the dead and watching part 18 that's kind of what i get a sense of is that you know that that is kind of the land of the dead now whether it's a physical dead or kind of like an emotional dead i'm i'm not certain that's it's just another piece to this multi-layered universe that lynch and frost created yeah and i think the pocket universe theory that that guy had a long time ago has some merit in terms of this is like her own virtual personal hell and that like you know audrey could be in her personal hell her pocket universe diane could be in her pocket universe josie could be in her pocket universe because you don't see a lot of other people moving around in odessa it's almost like her that's her land that's her place to realm her place to roam with no living people around her she's surrounded by ghosts and lodge entities so i think that has some real some uh merit too yeah and i think the the themes like you mentioned audrey and you said like Diane. I mean, we didn't see Annie in season three, but I would suppose that she's probably in a, a very similar Audrey limbo as well. And there's any number of characters that Ray. are. Excuse me, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> that I bet his pocket Ray. universe is really cool, though. I bet it's really cool. Let's <laughs> yeah. see what that is. Actually. Well, he's. Don't you think Mister C had him put the ring on, not only for the ring to disappear because he knew he knew it would go to the lodge, but. Ray would be eternally damned yeah. in the lodge. Yeah. Is it yeah. final like fuck you to Ray? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'd like to see him in part four come back. I'd like to see him. If there's ever or no, so, so, season yeah. four. Yeah. Well we never talked really about the Bob bubble. How did that sit with you uh later on down the road now that you I don't think you liked it the first time. It's not that I didn't like it, it was so shocking that we were gonna have this kind of like comic book like resolution to the ultimate evil of Bob, who's you know terrorized our nightmares since 1990, destroyed by this Cockney kid with a green glove, and how it was <laughs> shot with He's all, start. You know, people like that was the thing is that it was almost like the people outside watching. It made me think of that accident scene in Part Six when the little boy died. Yeah, the, with Harry the onlookers, they they couldn't react. They were reacting, but they they didn't 
they were bystanders. They were bystanders. They didn't actually physically, you know, go to assist. They just reacted. And it was a very similar thing here at the sheriff's station is that we're seeing that this Bob bubble attack Freddie and no one came to his aid to try to help. You would think someone would, Hey, you know, like, you know, someone heroic, but they didn't. And it plays into the kind of the dreaminess, but it's almost like if you cross that, that threshold, if you go inside, what might happen to you, but the scene itself played much faster. Originally, I thought it went on way, 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 way too long. But I thought it was incredibly well shot. Um, I loved the sound design. And I loved a little Bob, you know, catch you with my death bag. And so, you know, and I love some, there's some images of Cooper. Where he has a, a very bright light on his face. And you see his whole body, but you don't see any features on his face. So there's little moments that, you know, are symbolic. And uh, so... I enjoy it. I'll still never like love it because I don't like the idea that Bob can be destroyed that way. Um, I don't think that he was destroyed, but then we never see Bob again. He floats up into the miasma, though. He'll be back. He just has to regenerate. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. One thing I didn't quite get was that uh, that was that was Bob's chance to get Coop, and he never even took a shot, never took a punch at Coop. I thought that like he because he immediately is distracted by Freddy. I would think at the very last minute, like in that final shot, that he had been trying to attack Coop, and Coop was on the ground bloody. And that the very last minute when Bob was coming in for the knockout blow, then Freddy would intercede and punch him out as as the Bob bubble was coming for Cooper, and then take him out that way. That would make more sense as to have him just completely be going after Freddy. Because then after Freddy, he'd be going for Bob, I would think. I mean, going for Coop. Like, that was just, like, uh, a distraction. The first he got knocked he, out by the opening match, the intro. The, the first act. thing he did was go after Coop. I know, but that was it. He didn't try. He, he had his chance. He didn't try to go back after him. So, But it worked. I think, like I said, I think Freddy's got a statue at Twin Peaks. He should be in the town square. <laughs> he saved the town. The glove should be, like, bronzed. I think Showtime should be, like, marketing those gloves. They could be selling gloves. Uh, put a little Twin Peaks stamp on a green uh, glove, and that could be 50 bucks right there. Well, uh, what else do you want to talk about? Roby, Roby. Uh, we didn't talk about the little brief scene of Ben getting the phone call from <laughs> Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So that's that was Jerry's arc, right? So he he ran to Jackson Hole from Twin Peaks. That's a lot, several several hundred miles. Yes. He's body in great shape. He's in wonderful right. shape. But. Uh, it, it also, within, within this particular episode, it was a theme, is that Ben was going to bring Jerry home. He even says that, I'll, I'll you know, send him, bring him home. I'll come and get him. I'll bring, I think he says, I'll bring him home. That theme of we're going home that Cooper says to Laura. But also having that scene of just Ben on the phone in between this buildup of Mr. C and Nido and Cooper and Cole and the cutaway to that was very curious. So was it only to kind of hit home that theme or to, because what, I mean, he didn't give resolution to any number of characters, Becky, you know, Steven are, you know, are, are either of them dead? Yeah. Both of them dead. Um, why did he feel compelled to have that final scene? So the, the what I thought was the, the home theme. I mean, because there was a, a time theme that ran through this series. There was a home theme. There was a memory theme. There's a life and death theme. Uh, theme. But um, I just, any, any chance to see Ben, I know we didn't see Jerry, but to see Ben one final time, do the old, like, you know, the head down and kind of just like, uh I'd like to see him with a glass of wine. Like the, the one episode when he's calling for, about Audrey, like he's got the glass of wine and 
season two or season one. One of my favorite yeah. scenes with Lucy, right? Yeah, Lucy. One part though is that think about this: like he was uh, where 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 did little Dicky Horn get zapped? Like was it close to Twin Peaks? Was it was it, how far away was it from Twin Peaks? You think? I probably like maybe I don't know like fifty miles, hundred miles. Yeah. So okay. So then that means that it, from that time in part sixteen, he just he was must have been jogging the whole first team sixteen, <laughs> and then he went into a full sprint and started running towards Jackson Hole. That's hundreds of miles away, and he made that in a couple of days. No, and like that was the a beginning day. of part sixteen. Yeah. So how what was the time span he ended up at Jackson Hole from like that? Twenty four hours. Twenty four hours. It's a fast runner. He's flying. <laughs> he had to have maybe gone through a portal or something. Perhaps. Maybe like kind of like a Melvin and Howard. You know, maybe he got picked up. He got by picked Paul up. Lamatt. Naked. Yeah. He's naked by someone. And there's like in the back a little... of a truck. Yeah, singing songs to the dogs <laughs> with the blanket on, <laughs> the, with the binoculars upside down. Right. So yeah, overall, this is. I mean, you really summed it up perfectly. Uh, you know, when you were discussing the the end scene and. Uh, uh, when I was watching it, uh, I I did feel like, wow, what a great ending. What the hell are we going to get for the final hour? But it, we do have these th- th- these two endings that they, they stuck. I mean, this really is almost like the ending for people who really love the vibe of the original series. I think it's perfect for those people. I think people who like a little bit more of the Lynch abstractions... Um, in something like a Racerhead or, or Inland Empire, um, Lost Highway, I think Part 18 is like an ending for them. And I don't think they consciously said that, oh, let's give one to the fans and let's, you know, one for us or whatever. I think it ties into the uh, Cooper's journey, the White Knight Syndrome, the heroism, and the fact that Fire Walk With Me played such an important role in this series, not not in this season, not originally, but as it progressed, it became more and more relevant. And to incorporate Laura's scene with James and then to put Cooper into the scene there and him saving her was just pure poetry. And I loved how it flashed back to or it, it you know, we saw the events of the the pilot and we saw the the shore without, you know, her body and the reactions of Josie and Catherine and, and Pete. And it all comes full circle. And anything is possible now. If they were to continue it, part 18 was kind of Odessa in this this weird, you know, land of the dead slash dream world. If they were to continue, they have a whole blank canvas of not who killed Laura Palmer, but where did Laura, Laura Palmer go? Right. It's almost like we talked about the beginning, the first episode of season four. We were like, well, clearly they're going to keep going because this is the first episode. It's so totally different. Did they show when they did the retcon, did they show a scene of Pete coming back in after and not finding Laura? Was there was there any like thing? Yeah, that was it. That's the last you saw of him. Yeah. Fishing. That's it. That'd be kind of cool if they had had him come back in, though. Yeah, like, but you'd you know have to do some serious CGI with Jack. Nance. Well, it could have been B-roll that they never used. Somehow just him walking in and they could have just uh, get them in there. Like That's see true. what happened afterwards. Right. Like Josie made him a sandwich or fished the perkler or something like that. <laughs> it was a great day. It was a wonderful day. Could have been. Right. <laughs> I mean, 18 is also another, a whole other trip. But it does feel like we thought that maybe Mark Frost, this was Mark Frost episode, and that he got to end it this way, and that maybe Lynch got a full carte blanche on 18. But now I think you mentioned that you know, maybe you thought that actually Mark Frost had a hand in part 18 as well, and it wasn't that indeed. It was actually, they, they collaborated on 17 and 18. Yeah, they I think Mark Frost was the... Uh, uh, the driving force of uh, a lot of the narrative in season three. And I think that, you know, he had certain sections that, you know, he 
created on his own, and I think there's certain sections that Lynch did, and I think they also collaborated. I don't think that there's any moment in season three where Frost didn't have a a role uh, in the overall narrative. I think there are moments where Lynch felt inspired, whether on the set, made certain changes, but I don't think it was anything too revelatory. And I think we'll probably find out maybe some information uh, on his role uh, in season three, and in addition to you know the first two seasons and maybe even Firewalk with Me, his relationship with Lynch, and a new book that's coming out. I think next, maybe I think it's March. Conversations with Mark Frost. And it's I very timely. Definitely... Coming at a very timely time. Everybody thinks that big sh- the sh- the whisper, the big secret that everybody has been uh, alluding to towards at least back uh, before the year ended that maybe something would drop. You know, maybe the Mark Frost book may have a clue embedded in it that might uh, give us a clue towards. Uh, a hint, like, don't you think the fans that buy that book would be a great marketing uh, marketing ploy to have at least at least tease it? The question that maybe it could be coming back. If he poops it completely, that'll be very heartbreaking, I think, for the people that buy the book or the audiobook. I'll be listening to it and just be like, oh, turn it off immediately. Yeah, I don't think. I think we'll <laughs> eventually get more Twin Peaks. I don't know what um, you know how it you know will unfold with Lynch and Frost working together. But I, I'm certain that it will come back at some point. But I think that if it did return, I think, A, I don't think anyone would guess what what they had in store. But I think that if they did return for a future series, that it would primarily take place in Twin Peaks and it would be populated by... Uh, new characters i think we'd have some of the old characters and i don't think cooper and laura would have a a huge role at least in... <laughs> roby talked uh, he did not like that theory Doug. No. he was just like no no cooper no laura i'm not watching this shit <laughs> <laughs> I think that Cooper and Laura uh, wouldn't play a major role, uh, at least at the ounce, uh, at least at the onset. That they would eventually have a role, but I think moving forward, it would be an entirely new mystery that was tangentially connected to Laura and Cooper. I just can't see uh, Lynch and Frost continuing down this road and matching the perfection of what we saw in season three. So I think it would be something completely new. What that would be, I I do not know. It'd be like a limited series, I would think. But uh, maybe it followed Sarah around, perhaps, and uh, with Judy and her. I think you want to find a main protagonist or somebody to, like, spend some time with. Sarah, Philip Jeffries, somehow recreating him and having him bouncing around. Like, who else would it be if it's not Coop? Chet Desmond. Or maybe it's the third Jacques cousin. Oh, yeah, it's body time, baby. Oh, yeah, sparkle for everyone around. It's going to be a good show. Maybe he goes time jumping. (laughs) We'll see you next time. Episode of the Youth.